and turn with me to uh, Ephesians chapter 1. This is the letter of Paul to the Ephesians. That's where we're starting this week, jumping into a new series here that we're going to be calling uh, Vintage Community. It's a series we're going to be in for a while, uh, so, so kind of get comfortable there. You can definitely move the little bookmark over into Ephesians. And as we, as we look at the life of, of Rivercrest as a church, and, and really in this whole season that we're in, and as we prayerfully consider where God would have us to faithfully follow Him um, in the coming season of life, Ephesians really grounds us in these twin pillars of, of what we are to believe and, and, then, and what we're called to do with it. I guess that's the the way I would say. And so I'd ask you now to stand with me, if you will, as we look together at the word of the Lord to us, as his gathered people here today. This is Ephesians chapter 1, and I'm just going to read the first two verses. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are Faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would speak now. I pray that you would, or that you would just pour into us right, right now. Pour your word into us, allow us to hear from you. I pray that you would move me out of the way. I pray that my weakness, my timidness, my <laughs> that all of my falling short wouldn't, wouldn't cause your word to fall short this morning and that you would speak in spite, of, in spite of me. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, everyone, well, before that, I just want to say it's really good to be back here. I know it was only a week, all right? We were gone for one Sunday, but it felt like longer than that. And so we're really glad to be back here in the room with you. It was, it was incredible to watch it uh, on screen, but there's nothing like being in the presence of the people of God. So, so thank you all for, uh, for being here this morning. It, it's, it, there's always a little fear that you're going to come back and nothing's going to be here. But anyway, um, and thank you to Andrew for last week's message, man. As I was sitting there crying in a, a theater full of my family on vacation, it was a really cool house. We stayed in and had a theater. And um, uh, I, I was just, I was just so grateful for that, and the musicians, all the folks. I could, I could go on and on and on. You guys uh, just bless us more than we even realize. So here's the deal: everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, um, every disciple of Jesus Christ, every Christian has a story, right, of how, of how they came to know Jesus as their Savior, right? And, and no two stories are the same, right? They're all different. They're all unique. My, my story of coming to know the Lord. And call upon his name goes back to when I was uh, 13 years old on a, on a short-term mission trip in West Virginia, uh, tagging along with my parents. Now, now, the truth, though, is that I had been raised in the church for my whole life. My, my testimony is one of those like beautifully boring but spectacularly authentic stories of being what we call uh, raised in the church, right? And, and I was. My parents were faithful in their calling to raise me and my sisters and what Paul is going to call the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, that, that was a gift that my family 
gave to me. I've said this time and time again, kids. I know you don't realize it right now, but if your mom and dad have drugged you here this morning, they are giving you the greatest possible gift that they could give you in your childhood. They are doing everything they can to to introduce you to your Savior. And what Jesus did in, in, in and through my life growing up in the church was he opened my eyes to my sin. He, he, he helped me to recognize my helpless condition and then to awaken my soul to trust in the perfect life, death, and resurrection of Jesus as the atonement for my sin. That he paid the price I couldn't afford. And, and all of us who call Jesus our Savior have a story. And, and so did Paul, right? So did the Apostle Paul. And so did the people there in Ephesus, the members of that church. They had heard the good news of Jesus. They had repented of their sin and confessed uh, their faith and embraced Jesus as their as their Savior. And, and we have a record of that in, in Acts 19. Now, you don't have to turn there, but in Acts 19, we actually see this playing out, that these were things that really and truly happened. For, for some of them, it may, have been, uh, it may have been that they came to know the Lord during that almost three-year period that Paul was living with them in Ephesus. If you didn't know that yet, yeah, Paul spent a lot of time there in Ephesus. So when we read the book of Ephesians, we know that he, he's not just writing to nameless faces. He's writing to people that he knows. He sees their faces in his mind as he's, as he's writing under the inspiration of the Holy, of the Holy Spirit. For some, it may have happened before or since the time that he was there. Maybe, maybe they had heard, you know, as the word went out. Maybe they had heard before he even got there. Or, or maybe they heard through the witness of those who came to know the Lord while Paul was there. But it was true. It was as true for them as it is for us. And that connects us. Here, here's the truth. It connects us to the original recipients of this letter in this very real and powerful way. And as we consider our place, as, as you and I consider our place in God's redemptive story... And as we ask questions like this one, like, like how, how is it possible for sinful people to be brought into the presence of a holy, of a holy God? As we ask questions like this, we're, we're coming into Ephesians in a similar position to those first recipients of the letter. They're a relatively new church, like we are. They're trying to navigate their way through a world that feels less and less like home. They're strangers and aliens. They're challenged each day to hold fast to what they believe, right? They, they, there's a real struggle to walk by faith. And, they're pro- and they are prone to forgetting what God has said and, and losing sight of where he's pointing. And so in this time, as in all times, that the first half of this letter is really Paul just reminding the church that this is what we believe. That's what he's coming with in the first half, that this is what what we believe. And what we believe, like what we really believe, determines every action. It determines every inaction of our lives. It determines every choice. It determines every step. And so what Paul does in Ephesians, right, is, is roll right from what we believe over into the way that we live. Or as one commentator has said, he said, the message of Ephesians is that is that when we embrace the love of Christ, we will also embrace the way of life that Christ loves. I want to say that one more time, because I really, that, that's a profound <laughs> summary. It says, the message of Ephesians is that when we embrace the love of Christ, we will also embrace the way of life that Christ loves. And these opening verses, right, just this greeting from Paul really sets the stage for everything 
that is coming after them. They set the pattern for the whole letter. And we're going to see this, uh, we're going to see this division where the first three chapters focus on what Christians should believe and the next three chapters focus on, on what we're supposed to do with it. They, they tell us what it means to walk in the way of Jesus with all the spiritual and cultural and societal and ethical realities that come with it. And so right out of the gate, we see that Paul understands that what he's writing to the church is the word of God to the church. It's made really clear there in verse 1. Look at that. Where he writes, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Now there's actually a lot in those, in those few words. Even, even the first word, just his name carries a lot of meaning, right? Because Paul wasn't always... Paul, that, that wasn't always his name. Remember, Paul was once Saul, and prior to Acts 9 and the Damascus Road, Saul was an enemy of the church. And not a like hiding enemy, he was a vocal enemy. <laughs> he was an active enemy of the church. He was an active persecutor of what they, at the time, they were calling it the way. That was the way the Christians were known of. They were called members of the way. They followed the way. The very in- introduction of Saul was in the context of him trying to destroy the way, trying to destroy the church. So, so what we need to see is that when Paul says, my name is Paul, we see that the life in Christ is really a transformed life. And as we step into this series, one of the first things we need to understand is that so what we have before us isn't just the word of another good teacher. It's not just the word of a really eloquent speaker or a prolific author, but it's, but it's actually the living, inerrant, and infallible word of God. You see, after Paul's name, we get his credentials. He's an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. And that word apostle, anybody knows that word? Probably knows what that word means. It means a sent one. That's what an apostle is. It's one sent by Another, Brian Chapel makes the point that when Paul says he is an apostle of Christ Jesus, he is claiming to be an appointed messenger. And we know something about the things that God appoints, right? We saw it all throughout the book of Jonah that we just finished, that God appoints things. And what God appoints, they have a purpose, right? Whatever he appoints has a purpose. An appointment from God means a new purpose from God. Sinclair Ferguson speaks as he says, the authority of an apostle to speak and act was dependent on the nature of and the authority of his senders. There was no authority in the part of the great fish. There was no authority on the part of the great storm in Jonah. Their authority came because they were appointed by God. And it's the same with Paul here. You see, that's where Paul's anchoring his purpose and his mission. It's it's not in his gifts. It's not in his style. It's not in his potential. It's, It's not in his swagger. And it's not in his heritage, right? It's not in his looks or his charm. It's not in the friend group that he happens to be a part of. It's not about anything in and of himself, but it's in his new identity as one sent, as an apostle of Christ Jesus. By what? What does it say right there? By the will of God. Listen, we can't miss this. We can't miss this picture of what, of what redemptive transformation looks like. This is what new creation, this is that new creation identity, right? That the new creation reality for those in Christ Jesus It's for those who have recognized and understood the brokenness of their sinful hearts and tasted and seen that the Lord is good. We were on our way, we were in the car yesterday um, on our way back from from North Carolina, just listening to music, trying to keep up with the lunatics on I-95. 
and a song by Ryan Adams came on. And, and the chorus of the song, I said this in the car yesterday, and Laurie was like, can't you just listen to the song? Like, just shut up. That was, um, like, for real, we're just driving down the road. We're not, don't preach at me. I mean, basically, that was the message. But here, here's what, here's what, but I did anyway, because that's, because I wanted to. Anyway, uh, the, the message, of, the chorus of the song, not the message, the chorus of the song was, um, he says this, but I'm fractured from the fall, and I want to go home. It's a great, it's a great song, by the way. Um, I'm fractured from the fall, and I want to go home. Now, I have no idea if he meant it that, this way, but that is a solid description of us apart from Christ, of every man, every woman, and every child apart from Christ. We are fractured from the fall, but we want to go home. That's that longing for, for shalom, right? For, for peace that every image bearer of God has in them. It's a longing for restoration. And Jesus comes to us in that, in that fractured, broken estate while we were still sinners, right? While, while we were still sinners, he, he came and he died for us, okay? He gives his life for us. He takes the impossible crushing weight of our sin upon himself, and gives us his righteousness by grace through faith. We're going to get to that in a couple of weeks. And so whoever you were before Christ, here's the point, that's not you anymore. Whoever you were before Christ, that's not you anymore. Whatever baggage you had before Christ, that's not yours to carry anymore. Those bags don't belong to you because he took them. He took all that by the will of God. And Paul drives this home for us here at the beginning. Look at what he calls the believers in the church there at Ephesus. Did you notice that? He addresses this letter to the, you see it? To the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Okay, now, now Ephesus, here's a little background for you. We've got to kind of set the pattern here. You need to know that Ephesus at the time is about as pagan a city as you could find on planet earth, right? Definitely that you would find in the Roman world. It's literally the epicenter for a, for a cult uh, that worships the Greek goddess Artemis, later, later, later the Roman goddess of Diana, right? Same, same person. That, that's where the, the temple to her was. They had an entire industry around this, this temple, It was actually one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. That's a pretty crazy thing. And looking at some ancient accounts as well as the emerging like archaeological evidence, what we, what we find is that the economy and the culture of Ephesus and the, really the surrounding region were sort of centered around the, this idolatry of materialism and sensuality. Materialism and sensuality. Materialism and sensuality. And does that sound like a culture that we know something about? I mean, isn't that the culture that we understand? Listen, Ephesus could easily fit in our world today. Brian Chappell says, For Paul to address believers in Ephesus as saints, which is a, Jewish, a phrase of Jewish origin meaning set apart or consecrated ones, would have been unthinkable even offensive to the Jews of the time. To call those people saints? Listen, Vegas has nothing on Ephesus. And we don't call that saint city, we call it sin city. 
But it's a reminder to us again, as those who understand our own brokenness, who understand our sin and our need for saving, it's a reminder that there is no limit to the grace of God for his chosen people. And we have, the, we have this physical locale there. there like there's, there's, we see this physical status that they are in Ephesus, right? To the saints who are in Ephesus, but they're what? They're also somewhere else. They're also faithful in Christ Jesus. It's a picture of a Christian's double identity. Ian Hamilton says that what is undeniable is that the recipients of this letter are living out their set-apart lives in the midst of a godless world. They live in Christ, but also in Ephesus. And here again is a picture for us of what the church is meant to be on the ground today. It's not, it's not difficult to see that like Ephesus, we find ourselves in the midst of a crooked and, and twisted generation. Everywhere we look, there's a fresh temptation for the eyes. Most of, us, most of us carry in our pockets the single greatest avenue, right? The most effective conduit of, to temptation that the world has ever known. And we, we carry them around with us all the time. And even when our eyes are closed, I want to be careful that, I don't like, that we don't put temptation out there too much. Even when our eyes are closed and our devices are turned off, our own hearts are, as Jeremiah 17 says, are deceitful above all things and desperately sick. So, so we don't have to look outside of ourselves to find sin and misery. We're actually pretty good at generating it ourselves. We're manufacturers of it. It's our natural byproduct. By our own nature, we, we specialize in unrighteousness. That's why verse 2 is so critical. In many ways, it's a summary of everything that is to come in the rest of the letter. Paul, like in every single one of his letters, he begins, he begins here with a blessing. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Did you catch those two words? Grace and peace. In his commentary, Sinclair Ferguson says that the combination of these two terms summarizes the structure of the whole letter. In the first half, Paul describes the work of God in setting apart the Ephesians as saints. In the second half, he summons them to live as those whose lives are set apart for God. You see, as we learn to speak the language of the gospel, we, we learn that, that grace is, is what we call the unmerited or undeserved and, and unexplainable favor and love of God for, for guilty sinners in, in need of saving. This is what makes the gospel so so scandalous. He's not coming to save people worthy of being saved. He's coming to save those who are unworthy. So it makes it holy and, and really otherworldly. Something had to come from, Jesus had to come from outside of here into here to, to save us from here. It makes the gospel such a wonderful and, and radical reality because it tells of the sinner's impossible restoration to our holy God through union with his perfect son who took my punishment upon himself at the cross. Grace is how we are saved. Peace is what comes from it. It brings us into this unbreakable union with our Savior and it brings us into a new community in, in Jesus Christ. That's what the church is, right? It's a new community in Christ. It's a new community brought together by the blood-bought righteousness of Christ that is ours by grace alone through faith alone. Andrew quoted it last week, and I think it's worth repeating again, that what the church is meant to be is a community of broken people finding family around a meal under the tree of Calvary. Tim Chester said that. 
in a book called A Meal with Jesus. The community of broken people finding family around a meal under the tree of Calvary. We, we've called this series Vintage Community. We called it that because, because we're seeing here both an ancient and authentic picture of what we are called to be as the new creation sons and daughters of the King. And so as we walk this road together, I want to tell you, I know this is a weird sermon because it's basically an introduction. I do want to tell you that the next couple of months are not, are not going to be easy months because, because Ephesians is going to demand change on us. Uh, we ordered a couch. We've had the same couch for like almost 20 years now. Laurie thought it was worn out. I hate change, so I loved it. Um, I hate change. That couch was definitely worn out, by the way. Um, it was disgusting. Our community group has been very kind and being willing to sit in it for the last couple of years. But it was time. It was hard, though, to say goodbye. By the way, my seven-year-old also hates change. He cried when we threw it away. Um, that makes me feel a little bit better about me. Anyway, I don't know how that... Ephesians is going to be difficult because what it's going to tell us week after week after week is that there's this broken picture of you and there's this, there's this whole picture of Christ. And when the two things come together, there's only one that can be left standing. And that's him. Like he does win in the end. So I want to warn you on that. We're going to be challenged by questions of what we really believe. Like the people in 95 who really believe that you can go 90 without my dad getting in your way with his boat. Um, we're going to be challenged by what we believe. We're going to be challenged about who we really are because, because of what Jesus has really done for us. It meets us. Here's what Ephesians does. It meets us on the shaky ground of life with the unshakable love of God. And so, so praise God that it's not up to us. It's not up to me and my resistance to change. It's not up to our strength or ability, but it's up to him. It's up to Jesus and his faithfulness to us that, it, that enables us to, to embrace his way for us. You see, that's the shared story that we all live, from, from the people in Ephesus to the people here in, in this place today. It's the shared life that we all receive. It's the glory of God in Christ that carries us forward, regardless of where we started. Is every single one of us has a starting point, and every single one of those is unique. The beauty of the Christian community is not how diverse we are, but how unified we are. It's not where we started, but where we're going. Praise God we get to go there together. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I, I do thank you for your word to us. I thank you that the grace and the peace that you offer are not, are not dependent on us. They're not dependent on anything that we bring to the table, but purely and wholly, they're dependent on your son and what he has done for us. And so Jesus, we give you praise today. As we come before your table today, we, we thank you for purchasing the meal with your life. And pray now that Lord, as we sing to you and as we, as we come to this time together, Lord, that you would continue to minister to our hearts, that you would continue to feed us. Lord, be at work in us now. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and join in?